Welcome to Beef and Forage Roundup with host Chantal McRae. This podcast is a production of Manitoba Beef and Forage Initiatives, created to share information with farmers, producers, and agriculture enthusiasts, and to showcase the important work that is happening at MBFI. Our podcasts drop on the first and third Wednesday of each month. We will be sharing information through interviews, general manager, Mary Jane Orr, project leads for various projects, MBFI team members, speakers from our extension events, industry leaders, and industry suppliers. This podcast will dig deep into on-farm research and field testing practices related to beef cattle and forage production and efficiency and sustainability of practice in the agricultural industry in Manitoba. We will be sharing information on upcoming training and workshops, field and farm demonstration tours, education materials and events at MBFI, as well as producer profiles from around the province and information on their own trials, challenges, innovation, and results. We encourage you to browse our social media accounts and website for links to more information on projects, upcoming events, and important deadlines. Information on our social accounts and website can be found following the show and in the show notes. As always, we encourage you to email us if you have feedback, questions, or topic suggestions for the show at information at mbfi.ca. Carson Callum is the general manager at Manitoba Beef Producers. Carson joined MVP in 2019 and comes with an extension background in agriculture. He has a master's of science in agriculture, specifically related to beef cattle. Carson has worked in many areas of the egg sector and the beef industry is near and dear to him. He grew up on a small beef farm south of Miami, Manitoba. He now lives in Winnipeg with his family, which includes his wife, Brittany, and sons, Cohen and Sullivan. Carson admits his favorite role in life is fatherhood, but he sure enjoys working on behalf of the beef industry as well. Welcome back to the podcast, Carson. Thank you for joining me today to give us a bit of an update on what Manitoba beef producers has been up to and some very relevant topics for Manitoba producers. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks a lot for having me again. You're welcome. I'm glad you're back. So we first talked for the podcast in June of 2022. What has been happening with Manitoba beef producers since then? Yeah, you know, it's it's usually busy in the beef industry, in particular on the advocacy front. There seems to be always things coming uh, in the direction of the beef industry, whether it's from a, a policy or regulation standpoint or, or market issues or weather-related challenges that keep us very busy as an organization from a, a board and staff perspective. So uh, lots on the go. Since we talked about talked last, it was great to see in 2022 that we had a fairly good production year overall. And since then, we've seen some turnaround in uh, in live cattle prices, which has been driving a bit of optimism in the sector. However, now that we're halfway through or more of this summer, it's it's clear that uh, weather challenges are are an issue across, in particular, across the West. So. You know, we're always focusing on advocating and for the sector for support in these areas. But there's been a lot of national regulations and and policies and bills and all the fun stuff within Ottawa that has kept us busy as an organization supporting our national partners. So been lots on the go. And yeah, happy to get into any details on any of those topics you might want to dive into. Sounds good. We actually just had Stacey Domaluski on with BCRC to talk about some drought information. We're not seeing, I think, in most of Manitoba quite the drought that 
say Saskatchewan and Alberta has going on at the moment, but are there producers that are starting to worry about that here in Manitoba? Yeah. Yeah. And I would agree with you completely, Chantel, that uh, it's, it's more spotty in Manitoba. We got some areas that are better than our neighbors to the West, but it's so spotty. Like there's been such a kind of crazy storm systems that have rolled through where some guys are getting, you know, a couple inches of rain in a, in a number of days. And then their neighbors a few miles to the, in a certain direction are getting nothing. And uh, it's just one of those years that spotty is the, the term I use a lot in, in different conversations. And I think that's all we hear from our directors too, is even in their specific districts, it's like some is good, some is bad, but we're definitely not in a dire situation like we were in 21, where there was just, there's no pasture, no hay, no feed, nothing. We're in a better situation. However, if in the next number of weeks, we still, some areas that are so dry still get no rain, they'll be feeding early, their pastures will be shot. And I can hope that we get some, some of that rain or some of that moisture later in the season to get some really good fall grazing in to extend some of those feed supplies. So It's been like that at home here too, where we might get rain in the yard and then our field a mile and a half from us gets nothing. Oh, it's bizarre. Like even in, even in Winnipeg here this morning, all of a sudden out of nowhere, this like strong cloud shelf or whatever it is, really low, came floating in super quick. And we got the, some of the streets in Winnipeg were flooded driving into the office here. And that lasted for like 10 minutes, but just outside of Winnipeg and towards you know where my hometown is near Miami and where my in-laws are, they've been getting nothing. They're just in that Red River Valley that it's just dry as a bone and which is not that far. So it's crazy that this, it's just been so spotty. Mm-hmm. It seems to be to like the same people get the rain and the same people aren't getting the rain yeah no absolutely and then some people that are getting these systems that are going over they unfortunately have also been getting the the negative consequences of those systems like wind and hail it'd be interesting to see what the statistics with MASE are on some of those claims yeah that's for sure You'd mentioned there a little bit about the markets and definitely the markets are in a much different spot now than what they were this time last year, kind of when we were chatting. I guess, do you have any insight on that or anything that you want to mention or more information on kind of what's happening right now with the beef industry in the markets? Yeah, I mean, I think the you know major market fundamentals have finally led to a favorable position for you know, in particular, all the way down to the cow-calf sector. You know, we've seen years of drought in major cattle-producing areas in Canada and the U.S. that has led to such a contraction of the herd that it's, you know, from a simple supply and demand perspective, things are tight. And because of the downsizing of the herd, we're now seeing, you know, a lot of those market pressures leading to, you know, increased prices overall in the marketplace. So I think that's a positive, and we, we we're always a bit delayed in the cattle cycle because of just the long term life cycle of of the production animal. Uh, but it's good to see that some of these prices are starting to bounce back, and hopefully, with these market fundamentals, we continue to have strong prices for the next number of years to support the increase in in cost of production, which, as you well know, has just gone up dramatically in the last you know five years. Yeah, it really, really has. Off the top of your head, do you know what percent reduction there's been to the cattle herd in Canada? 
you know, Trent, I don't have that numbers in front of me, but I, you know, it's definitely following 21's drought. We saw a fairly big contraction. Like I heard anecdotally from 10 to 20% of herd reduction on, on from a national perspective. So that's a big, big number. And I think similarly, or even larger reductions in the U.S. because they've been having some really drought-ridden zones and, you know, their cattle numbers are pretty huge there. So I think uh, all of these drought conditions and these disastrous climate impacts we've seen have led to really challenging times. So, but the, the positive is higher prices due to just simple supply and demand. It's kind of a double-edged sword where it's more stressful and it's harder on the farmers and harder on the farm families and the pastures and the ground and the cattle and on the other side of it there is higher prices coming out of it that's so kind of mm-hmm. an odd situation to be in yeah absolutely yeah and from a pasture standpoint i think we can we probably talked about it last year just because you mentioned it there but you know, we're still seeing that conversion rate happening as a result of you know herd exodus and and producers leaving the business it's just a lot of it's being chewed up. I've seen multiple, whether it's on the the ag Twitter verse or just driving out into the throughout the province. It's uh, it's sure clear that uh, they're using a lot of technologies, laser laser levels and whatnot to to tear up this pasture land just because you know profitability seems more favorable from the grain standpoint. Yeah, yeah, I would say that around here too. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about what Manitoba Beef Producers has been doing as far as advocacy efforts, both in Manitoba and Ottawa, kind of while we're talking about some of these topics? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll touch on a few of the kind of the major topics that we have discussed, both provincially and when we go into Ottawa uh, in conjunction with our federal group, the Canadian Cattle Association. So really, provincially... um, a big one over the last year has been prepare, preparing and providing insight into SCAP, so which is the Sustainable Canadian Ag Partnership. And that, that is basically the overarching funding framework for various different support systems uh, in the ag sector. It's tied to things like crop insurance and forage insurance, but it's also tied to BMP offerings. Like, like one that was very popular over the last couple of years was a BMP 503 to be able to do water source development. So dig, dig out a dugout a well. So those type of support systems all funded underneath this Canadian Ag Partnership has been top of mind issue provincially. And we're happy to see some of this stuff rolled out early in April here. And we'll continue to buy, provide that feedback. And then obviously ground lands has been a file since I joined in 2019 and it's been a bit of a battle for organizations to to see some movement and you know just recently announced we saw some some positive steps forward there so those are two things provincially that maybe we could flesh out a little more if you'd like and then we can maybe go into some federal pieces that we brought forward in Ottawa if that sounds all right yeah that sounds good before we jump too far into the SCAP can you tell me or do you know where producers can go to get more information on that? Yeah, so we actually have uh, on our website, we've developed a a guide to funding availability in the province, which includes things like 
SCAP funding for, for certain BMPs and, and various other things like you know, traceability hardware, scan uh, tag readers as an example, but other uh, funding opportunities that, under the Conservation Trust. So Melissa Atchison, our research and extension specialist, developed this really great resource that's posted on our website. So I really would encourage folks to go to that because it's a good listing for all the different options out there. Because I'll, I'll say one thing about funding. There's quite a bit of it if you're if you know where to look because there's a lot of opportunities from a rotational grazing, water source development, anything like that. Uh, funding's out there. And I was going to say that, that seems like there's a lot of things coming out. It's just knowing where to look and how to get that application done. I will go to the Manitoba Beef Producers website and get the link for that and add it to the show notes. If there's any listeners who are interested, you can check it out there. What else can you tell me about the Sustainable Canadian Agricultural Partnership or SCAP? And I guess, how is that going to trickle down to producers right here in Manitoba? Yeah, so it's in its first year. Uh, so they're going to be having intake periods for you know, various funding opportunities uh, for producers to access. And when they announced the program in a late spring, there's two areas of funding that I see as, as beneficial. First one being the RALP program. So it, RALP is the acronym, but Resilient Agriculture cultural landscape program that's really something to help with you know fence line infrastructure and rotational grazing and you know i think it's a positive step forward in hopes of maintaining more grassland here in the province and it's administered one stream through the province and one stream through watershed districts they've made it kind of complicated i must say by doing it like this but i encourage listeners if they're in a watershed to reach out to their watershed district and really see what they have available through this route programming moving forward when they op open up more intakes because they're, they're a good resource and a lot of it seems to be trickling into their offices to support producers. So I encourage folks to talk with them. Uh, and then they have one for folks that are outside of a watershed district and on Crown land. So that one is, a, is another positive piece under the, the route program. And then they made a funding stream called SAM. So that's Sustainable Agricultural Manitoba. And that has various livestock-specific ones, some crop-specific BMPs or funding support pieces that I think uh, producers should strongly look at. That intake period, I believe, is closed for now, but they, you know, this is a five-year window that they'll hopefully open up more intakes um, underneath, the, underneath the SAM program. And RALP and SAM, I know that's a uh, can, <laughs> there's so many acronyms in in the ag space it's it's hard to keep things straight but there i encourage folks to look at all of them because everybody's situation is going to be different but they have things like feed efficiency improvements you know even buying a new mixer wagon like if there's there's a potential there to utilize new technologies uh, and that's just one example under sam so encourage producers to really look into that because at the end of the day sustainable agriculture partnership one of the biggest benefits for the beef sector is the BMP offerings and the funding streams. We continue to push forward federally and provincially on improving funding for livestock price insurance. So we're, we're on an equitable playing field as crop insurance for the grain industry. Um, but that's another piece uh, we can touch on later. 
And just for listeners who maybe aren't aware of the term, like the BMP acronym, it's for best management practices, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's uh, another acronym. It's tough to read, <laughs> but it's basically just think if there's a project you're looking to do, anything like fence line infrastructure or anything, I encourage you to look at it uh, at the list of available funding opportunities because they're there to tap into. And do you know, will any of these programs, I guess, impact future carbon credits, maybe that producers would be looking to try and get funding back for? Yeah, so that's something we're really been monitoring on behalf of MVP because we saw in one of the programs underneath the watersheds that wasn't tied to SCAP, but uh, another program for off-calf that there was a clause in there that said you couldn't claim carbon credits on the years that you were involved in the project. One thing that I just encourage producers to do if they're signing up for any of these things is to read the fine print and really go to bat for themselves. I know we have been as an organization to ensure that there aren't these clauses so that in future, if there is a carbon market that strongly comes in the province, producers can still access that. But I would encourage producers to look at the fine print with these agreements to make sure that you're not effectively giving up the potential opportunity for, you know, a fairly potential lucrative income stream if a full carbon market were to come into Manitoba like we see in other jurisdictions. So read the fine print um, because some of these programs want to restrict your ability to claim those credits because they would like them you know, to be able to deliver through through government into, you know, <laughs> the higher up UN agreements and things like that. Yeah, I know that was one of the things that held us back for, from applying for some of those earlier funding opportunities was what is going to happen with carbon credits and is it going to impact our firm in the future? And we do have some mm-hmm. friends who are in the States and the numbers that they're talking for carbon credits down there, it's a pretty big number that they're looking at for potential. So yeah, totally. So th- that's why we, again, any agreement, if you're looking to build a fence line to improve your rotational grazing pasture or, or whatever operational change you're looking to do, read that fine print to ensure that you're not giving up that future opportunity. Because it's a bit of a give and take, right? You could get 50, 75% cost share to do fence lines right now, but long term, you could be given up a greater opportunity if it's saying you can't claim those carbon credits because they would like to. Yeah. No, that's good. Just good for producers to be aware of that, I think, ahead of time. Yeah, because we know, uh, even speaking with our directors on our board, there's a lot of folks that are interested in kind of the carbon credit market long term, but there's definitely producers in the province that don't want to be involved in that sort of potential income stream or any of that, those type of agreements. So, I think uh, it's it all depends on the producer accessing the funding. And is there any conversation, I guess, while we're on the topic of carbon credits that you guys are involved in, I guess, probably federally about carbon credits and whether or not that's going to be something that's happening in Manitoba anytime soon? Yeah, we've been in multiple conversations with various partners on on carbon credit markets and how that would roll out in into Manitoba. I know some of the the national groups are looking at what sort of pricing structure would be used. How do you value some native pasture land to get those credits? The problem is 
in Manitoba right now, I mean, we don't have a specific carbon credit broker like some jurisdictions have where they take a bunch of producers' carbon credits and sell it to a big purchaser, like a shell company or somebody like Amazon that you see kind of globally in all these announcements with big ranches signing these deals. That's something we're missing in Manitoba, but we're just trying to figure out what the value would be to ensure that the producers would see something from it. Cool. Yeah, I'd imagine that's a pretty big undertaking and something that they don't want to roll out and have to roll back to try and make changes later on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because, and there's also the discussion on voluntary and involuntary markets. You know, there's going to be some differences in pricing there. So if you got put into an involuntary or voluntary market and one of them was way more overvalued based on just the, the price of carbon in each of those different markets. We don't want to see restrictions for producers to be able to utilize either or. So it's it's a complicated process, but I can really say that MVP uh, and a number of our directors are really tuned into that. And uh, we feel like that type of support would be something that would help with the grassland conversion that we continuously see. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a a market-driven potential, and we're also looking at various other support systems underneath current government funding to keep those grasslands intact, because that's just such a big effort and such a big concern uh, for our industry across the country. If there's listeners who are interested in finding out more about carbon and the carbon cycle in beef production, we did have a really good conversation with Ed Bork, it was episode 35. And he had a lot of really good information to share about how how the beef industry is involved in the carbon cycle and what that looks like. So people can go back and listen to that episode if they want a little bit more information that way. Tell me a little bit more about what's happening with the crown leases and permit yeah. regulation and that kind of front. Yeah. So just as a quick reminder for listeners, in 2019, the, the current government made some changes to crown lands that was you know, way offside from uh, what we submitted in our consultation paper. So we, us and many in the sector were caught off guard. They took away some really uh, important pieces in that regulation, such as the ability to unit transfer and increase the rent. So those were really two major ones that were concerning to us. And we've been dealing with multiple ag ministers since then uh, to try to see some changes to those regulations that happened. And just recently, uh, Minister Johnson and, and his team were able to move forward with a, a really positive step forward in, in relation to these changes. And everything from an ability to increase your term length, if you have a management plan for, for that grazing paddock and a rent reduction over the next number of years, which would be very helpful when we consider the, the production challenges producers have seen over the last number of years. And another really important one of nominating a third-party lessee to take on um, any of your lease if you were looking to sell. So really that's a that's an important step forward because it allows that the producer to have a li- little bit more freedom and who would maybe be taking over some blocks. And it's it's not a full unit transfer by any means, but it's an important step forward. And I encourage producers to look at some of the regulation changes that have come since this this iteration of the yeah, I can't even can't even list on my hand what consultation this is since 2019, 
I don't think, because it seems like it's, it's been an ongoing effort, but this is really an important step forward. And, you know, we're going to continue to ensure that policy underneath the ag regulations is driven properly. So there's enforcement happening. So those lands are not being used for improper purposes. And, and that producers are going to get the value of their improvements that they put in when, if they are to transfer that through an auction process, because that's really one of the key concerns from the get-go. And is there information on that on the MVP website as well? Yeah, yeah. And I encourage folks to check our social media as well. I know we've posted the the, the comment period plus the proposed and new changes that they've uh, they recently announced in the last couple of days that will be coming into effect. Uh, so I encourage folks to really look into that. I know lots of folks in that have been concerned over the last number of years have been very involved in this consultative process. And we I thank all those producers who were able to put in their their comments and their efforts. And yeah, it's good to see some movement on Crown Lands because it's been a it's been a challenge. Sounds like it. I'm not super familiar with the Crown's lands just because we don't have any of that land that we farm. But yeah, it's definitely a topic that you hear come up when you're chatting with others in the industry. Yeah, and, and one of the challenges that Minister Johnson had with it, it is that the TLE, so the Treaty Land Entitlement uh, underneath there. And, you know, we're very supportive of that as an organization. We want to ensure that those, those treaties are being being followed and that, you know, in, Indigenous communities have the rights that they need underneath those those treaties. But we also want to make sure that, you know, if an Indigenous group does not want any of those lands or want want access to any of those crown lands that producers are operating on, that it can go into uh, kind of that open market system. And if they do, that producers get that that improvement back that they've put into those land over over multiple years. And those are discussions that are con- going to continue to be had because they involve the federal government and, and how some of those interrelationships versus TLE and improvement for producers happen. And I look forward to to making sure that the producers is considered in that that sounds like it could almost be a whole episode topic just in the many pieces of that. Yes, yeah. There's a there's a lot to unpack with it. And uh yeah, I think we could probably talk about that as a whole episode for sure. <laughs> just kind of being mindful of the time. What other topics have you guys been working on or conversations have you been having that you'd like to tell us about today? You know, one of interest that if we think about the federal side. There's a couple of bills that we've been working on and supporting or being non-supportive of <laughs> from a national standpoint. First one is the bill C-282. So basically, to summarize what this bill that has gone through a lot of the motions within Ottawa, to summarize what it is, it's it's a trade bill. And then what it would do is effectively remove supply management from any sort of trade negotiations moving forward. So if they're going into a into a trade negotiation with any country globally, they they've already stated that supply manage is protected. As an industry that is, you know, not underneath supply manage and is really pro-free trade, uh, we feel this is a really poor move for Canada. And we've been really opposed to it and really encouraging MPs to vote against it when it goes to final vote. I believe it's heading to the Senate this fall uh, to be reviewed. But it's a big concern for groups like like the cattle sector or the grain sector or anything anybody that doesn't 
yeah, isn't like protected per se under supply management because it really props up one area uh, and, and protects it where we could all be hurt in those trade negotiations moving forward. So 282, uh, beef industry is against it. And we've been very open to say that. And it's been a, a, there's been so many conversations on the Hill in Ottawa about, about this particular one and, and how we're concerned about it. So what do you think the long-term impact, say, if that was passed, what would that look like possibly for the beef sector? If any free trade agreement were to come in, we could see some, whether tariff or non-tariff trade barriers being implemented because supply managers taken up the table. So it could come down and be slapped on the beef sector for any of our exports or imports that the beef sector is involved in, but it could also impact grains or you know, lumber, steel, any any of the ones that really are subjected to potential trade risk. And it's uh, it's a big concern. And I actually was able to meet with uh, some folks from New Zealand uh, in the New Zealand consulate last time I was in Ottawa. I was able to attend with uh, my colleague from CCA. And I think what it does for Canada is it just is not good optically. It shows that we're, we're protecting a certain sector or certain certain industries that really from a free trade standpoint doesn't look good. And that's, and that comes from, you know, our, our big, some of our big trading partners in New Zealand and Australia. So I think it's, it's not a good precedent to set. You're tying the hands of trade negotiators because you're already removing a trade tactic that they might want to keep because you're going into the negotiation already saying we're protecting this, this one's off the table. You could do what Canada has done and make it a policy, uh, or it's a practice that you do in the trade negotiations that supply managed sector is fairly protected. But to put it into legislation, it, yeah, it just doesn't look good. If there's producers who are wanting to, I guess, kind of join in the fight or have their voices heard about that, is there somewhere that they can go to, or is there someone that they can write letters to? Yeah, I mean, we have been really supporting CCA on this effort, so Canadian Cattle Association, and they've been taking it to Ottawa. But I encourage anybody to write or contact their MP about it, because knowing the position of their constituents is really important when it comes to this federal vote that could happen. Yeah, strongly encourage them to write letters, and I know some of our directors already have. It's good that producers can share their opinions if they'd like to. You said there was a second concern that you wanted to share? A concern that we have from a federal standpoint about a tra- another trade file. So recently announced uh, that the UK will be getting accession to the CPTPP. Canadian Trans-Pacific Partnership, it's, it's another one of those acronyms that uh, <laughs> I often can, can forget about. But really what we're concerned about here is in the deal of them coming into this free trade agreement, we are not getting reciprocal access into the UK that the UK is getting into Canada. So UK is effectively able to access our market with their cattle, their beef products coming in. And because of our phytosanitary usage in Canada, we're not able to access UK at all. So it's a really poor deal for the beef sector, and we've really been opposed to it. And that's another one that we strongly encourage folks to reach out to their MPs about, because from a trade perspective, we're getting a, yeah, we're getting the short end of the stick here. Because you know, if, in any free trade, you'd, you'd hope there'd be some reciprocal access. 
but because we use a certain sort of acid wash in our in our carcass process, UK has effectively not recognized that uh, as a plausible solution to to phytosanitary requirements. And and again, studies that we've done to to support ours show that we have even a better one than the UK is using or some parts in the EU as an example as well, but it's just one of those uh, imbalances that we don't want to see happen. So we strongly oppose that accession, mm -hmm. at least the way it's written. Is there anything else that you wanted to chat about before we kind of get wrapped up? You know, I think we talked about a lot of the issues and I mean, there's always reoccurring issues that MVP seems to be involved in anything from weather related to predation. I know we've seen predation being a big issue for many years and it seems to be ramping up in certain areas. So that's something we are, are always working on. But I think overall, when I think about SCAP and the last couple of years of advocacy within province and to, to the federal government, is this chair trying to get equitable support for the beef sector in particular? You see such a strong insurance program in crop insurance where as a BRM or a business risk management tool, where we just really need to see a strong, similar program in the beef sector that's, you know, cost shared through government. And that's something we continue to fight towards. Um, so we get on that level playing field. So you feel that you're covered because with the crop insurance, the way it's been developed, it really is a rock solid program, but we just don't have that uh, yet in the beef sector without having livestock price insurance cost shared as an example. So those are some final comments I'd probably say. Do you know what the holdback is on the livestock price insurance? So historically, Chantel, for the last number of years, we've always heard from provincial and federal reps that it's a trade risk. So if we were to have a subsidized beef industry insurance program, the U.S. would potentially flag that and put in for countervail measures because they feel it's an unfair piece. However, we feel that argument is not as strong anymore because the, the U.S. in the last year have implemented a cost-shared price insurance program. So now that they have one, it's kind of almost a moot point for government. And that's why we really need to see a national and cost-shared program or, or something that puts us on an equitable playing field. And we know certain parts of the U.S. are even looking at a production-based insurance uh, for the cow-calf sector, which would be really interesting to look at here in Manitoba if it incorporated price. As you were giving that explanation, I was thinking that the U.S. did have something they'd put in place. So I'm glad you said that. And it seems like this might be the right time for it to be brought up again here in Canada. Yeah. And and once they had some cost share with government of kind of their national and state level cost support for their premiums, I think their enrollment went up like substantially. I think we'd see the same thing in, in Canada if we could just get that across the finish line at least give people a little bit of a cushion on some of those really tough years, especially like exactly. the last few years that we've seen and kind of what we're seeing out in the West at this point. Yeah, exactly. What are some upcoming events that you're looking forward to or that you think producers should be aware of? 
Well, actually, in the next couple of weeks, going to Canadian Beef Industry Conference that's back in Calgary this year. It's a really good event, and I know it's a time of year where people might be trying to get some cuts of hay in, or, you know, albeit at that time of year, especially this year, harvest will be started. I would encourage folks to really look at that on an annual basis and, and try to make it out to it. It's in Calgary again this year, and it's really got great speakers and always a lot of the beef industry leadership is there to be able to kind of rub elbows with and just share different stories about challenges you and opportunities you see. And I, that's that's a main one that I'm looking forward to. And then into the fall, we'll have our, our district meetings again. So hopefully that producers will stay tuned for detailed information when that's announced on our social media and website and are able to make it out to those events. Sounds good. And I will try and find the link and some information to the Canadian Beef Industry Conference. And I'm also going to stick MBP's contact information and social account info into the show notes for everybody. Is there anything else that you'd like to share before we end today? You know, I just want to thank you for, for having me on. And there's always so much to talk about. We didn't even cover some of the other files that we probably could spend three hours on a podcast here chatting about, but I don't want to bore people with my voice for that long. So we better save it for a different one. Well, you're very welcome. I think it's such a, a good opportunity for MVP to kind of share what's been going on on your side of the fence and let producers know what's happening out in the world and, and where they can look for more information. So I really appreciate that you were well, able to spend the time today. Well, thank you so much. And you take care. Try to <laughs> don't overdo it with those two kids yours. <laughs> Thank you. Before we end, do you mind giving some contact information if there's people who are looking for a bit more information on any of those topics? Yeah, you can feel free to call us at our office at 204-772-4542. Drop us the line to our general email line at info at mbbeef.ca or you can email me directly at uh, C Callum, so C-C-A-L-L-U-M at mbbeef.ca. Perfect. And I will stick all of those in the show notes as well. Yeah, you have a great day and I look forward to probably doing this again. Yeah, that sounds good. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beef and Forage Roundup. For more information on the on-farm projects or upcoming extension events, please visit us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at MB Beef and Forage. For full project reports and more information about MBFI, please visit our website, mbfi.ca. If you have feedback on the show, questions about content, are interested in becoming a project supporter, or want to submit a proposal for a research project topic, please email information at mbfi.ca. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to ensure you don't miss an upcoming episode. The research programs and daily operations at MBFI would not be possible without funding from the province of Manitoba, Government of Canada, and the Canadian Agricultural Partnership, as well as partnership with Manitoba Agriculture, Manitoba Beef Producers, and Ducks Unlimited Canada.